Hello and welcome to episode 232 of the official EstablishTheRun.com podcast. My name is Adam Levitan. I am joined by the one and only Michael Leone. And today we have a very, very special guest. This is a young man who has conquered the high stakes auction league streets. He's in the NFFC Hall of Fame, which frankly, I can't even believe is actually a thing, but I found out the NFFC Hall of Fame is actually a thing. He's won at least one high stakes auction draft every year since 2012. It is Chris Eibel. Chris, how's it going today? It's going great. Thank you for having me. Excited to talk about auctions. Okay. This man has auction in his blood. Leone, how's it going today? It's going well. You know, we were scrambling over here a little bit, some technology fails, just trying to get those out of the way before our FFPC draft tonight. <laughs> uh, you got too fancy equipment, you know what I mean? If you're like me, you have two computers <laughs> and two mice, nothing fails. All right. On today's show, we are going to dive deep on auction strategy, certainly a form of fantasy that continues to gain in popularity. Certainly, I think a more quote unquote fair way to draft arguably i would say a more fun way to draft before we get into that dfs season is rapidly approaching i know everyone is hyper focused on their season long draft right now and rightfully so but the most competitive most thought-provoking best form of fantasy in my humble opinion is indeed dfs so if you'd like to upgrade your draft kit to a bundle aka add the in-season package email support at establishrun.com second a reminder this program is indeed brought to you by our friends at underdog Best way to get ready for your draft is to be in the real money best ball streets. Their puppy tournament is just $5 to get in. If you sign up for our ETR draft kit, you've never had an underdog underdog account before, you get a $35 credit. Easy game. Even if you already have an underdog account, take their $10 just because you have ETR draft kit. All right, let's get into it here. We will discuss some players whose values are tougher to get a handle on and specifically how to play them in auction later. At first, I wanted to start with some background on Chris, because man, you know, I'm so deep in the DFS streets. There's this whole world of kind of mid to high stakes season long leagues going on. It sounds like Chris, you've been in this world for a while. How did you find these online auction leagues and what is going on out there in these streets? Cause I'm honestly not too familiar with them. Yeah. Um, so a little about, bit about myself. I, I grew up in Chicago as a Chicago Bears fan. And after years of watching them draft guys like Cade McNown and Curtis Enos, you know, I thought even in middle school, I can I can manage a team better than this. And so just just really got drawn to to the strategy of managing a team and and learned pretty quickly that auction was was my favorite format just given the roster construction possibilities that don't really exist in in snake drafts i think you mentioned it's it's a more fair way to play and and so you know saw an advertisement for a high stakes league in in 2009 in in chicago and i thought you know i got i got to get there i got to try it had no idea what i was doing it was my my yeah went in all by myself and and went to that and just had the time of my life sitting around with like-minded people um you know shouting player prices and 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 got hooked and had some success in 2009 and from there you know start with one league you know one league becomes two leagues becomes four leagues becomes eight leagues to now i'm actually traveling uh two weeks to new york and las vegas and and doing you know 15 to 20 managed high stakes leagues and half of those are auctions no my God, peak virginity there, traveling all over the country to do auction drafts. Leonia, we just talked so much about 
season long and our strategies from each draft position and where to take guys and where to avoid guys in round one, round two. There's, as Chris said, there's so many more options available to us in auction. And also it's just more fair. I mean, we've talked about how much more Christian McCaffrey is worth than the field. There's no skill in happening to land, happening to land the number one overall pick. Do you do any auctions? Leone, do you want to do auctions? What advantages do you see from a strategy perspective on auction? Yeah, I love the auction format. I used to, you talk about peak virginity. I used to do the NFBC baseball auctions in New York City. So that was really peak virginity. I'm mostly in my local league auctions are keeper auctions. So those get a little bit wild because the inflation just affects the way people can bid on players. So it's hard to get a gauge on what the value should be. And there's some people that, you know, they come in with three really good keepers and they're just going to pay as much as they can for Christian McCaffrey. You know, they don't care. So it's a little bit difficult. I find, I'm glad we have Chris because I find that in theory, I should have a bigger edge in auction because every player matters and my valuation on every player, I have a chance to get them or pass on them. But in practice, the actual roster construction can be difficult for me. For example, I did a keeper auction league this past weekend and I probably didn't spend enough money on studs early on. And I ended up in a spot where I have this really balanced team, but my bench is all like decent receivers. I can't really churn those roster spots for waivers like I would in a managed league. So like clearly I made a mistake there where I should have you know, combined some of the funds in those depth wide receivers into one really strong wide receiver. So interested to hear how Chris balances, you know, studs and duds with a balanced approach. Obviously your roster format's going to make a difference there, but uh, because you can go a lot of different ways, sometimes you can get caught, you know, not being as aggressive, just assuming, well, I'll wait for the next guy. I'll wait for this. And you, you could end up with the issues that I'm having. Yep, exactly. And we're going to talk about that whole idea of stars and scrubs and how strong your bench should be, et cetera, et cetera, in a minute here. I'm curious what Chris thinks the biggest strategy differences are between auction and snake. I assume you've played both, Chris. In terms of a strategy, what do you think the biggest differences are? I think in auction, what I really like to take advantage of, and you know, you brought up stars and scrubs. You, you know, I like to come away with teams where I'm ending up with, you know, three of those top 15 players, team combinations that I could never possibly come up with in in a snake draft. And I think one of the big advantages to be gained when you're when you're doing an auction is you know, the guys who are going for one to two dollars, some of those two dollar guys are are going in the 12th, 13th round of snake drafts. And so if you time those guys right, you can, you know, fill out your your last five or six bench spots in a 20 round league with 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 those 13 round 13th round type talents. Um, and, and so I, again, I, I think there's a big advantage to be gained in, in how much you focus on the end game and, and, and finding those one to two dollar guys who gave you an edge over your opponents. And um, again, just loading up on more stars than you possibly could in a, in a draft. Yeah. yeah. And, and there, Chris talked about that more in his article on the site. Go ahead, Leone. Well, I was going to say, too, you know, you're like a lot of the stuff we've talked about earlier this offseason deals with like best ball or NFFC where the benches are really big. But when you're in, you know, your home league auction, you might have five, six bench spots and it's totally different. So this league I did, for example, Rondell Moore, Terrace Marshall, these guys went undrafted who, you know, I would have taken them easily for a buck and upgraded some guys just to add more context to what Chris is saying. And the problems I had earlier is just understanding how that player pool is differently. And it does sort of like nosedive where the gap between, you know, seventh round receivers and 11th round receivers in practice might not be that big, but in terms of how people are spending an auction, yeah, you can get some of those cheap guys pretty much for free 
that have, you know, the upside and let you inflate those studs a little bit more. If you, you know, make sure you spend that money earlier on higher end guys. Yeah. And, and you bring up a good point in a league with a shorter, shorter bench like that, you're going to find that the waiver wire talent is so much stronger that it's, it's maybe not as even as important to have a, a real good quality bench and that you really want to be spending that money in your starting lineup and making sure, you know, that, you don't have a 10 or 15 that you spent 10 or 15 dollars on sitting on your bench yeah okay i think one thing that people run into trouble with in auction is preparing for their auction in other words for a snake draft i can prepare very easy i know roughly where guys are going to go i can say who i like more who i don't i can say hey i'm going to wait on why uh, i'm going to wait on running back in this zone and because i can get wide receivers later here in auction it's dynamic to your draft room. People are going to be doing crazy things. You have no idea what guys' prices are going to be going in. How do you think is the best way to prepare for your auction draft, Chris? Is it simply having a projection of what you think each player is worth and failing to waver from that or trying not to waver from that? Or how do you go about preparing for an auction draft? I like actually getting a player list where I'm listing two side-by-side values. Uh, one is what I think the player should go for based on you know, projections. I don't do projections myself, but I take into account other people I trust, their projections, you know, and I'll, I'll put together what I think a player should go for. And then I'll line that up side by side with what I think they will go for. And I think coming up with what they should go for is obviously a subjective, subjective process. You know, you can look at Evan's top 150 and sort of move guys up or down. I don't think, you know, pre-published auction values are ever useful for that purpose, just because league sizes, roster, you know, starting spots can vary. Um, so so there, again, there's a lot more subjectivity in that process. But I also think it's important to line those numbers up with what you think the guys actually will go for. And, and that's the type of information where if you're in a home league, I would, you know, take notes from, from your, your prior year draft. If you're entering a league you've never been in before, I'd ask, you know, I've joined a home league a couple of years back, uh, had none of the prior values. I badgered at least five or six people before I found someone to, to give me a list of what those actual values were. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I think that's also important to have in mind, you know, what their selling prices will be. The other, the other thing I'll mention is if you're in a high stakes league, a lot of the, a lot of the, you know, people who run those contests have published auction values in terms of, you know, what players are actually selling for. So that, 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 that is out there if you want to find it. Um, and, and lining those up gives me context going into an auction of, of where I think the values are relative to my prices, um, but, uh, but, but, you know, I'm still trying to stay flexible because, you know, just because a player sold for $15 last year doesn't mean he's going to sell for that this year. Sure. Of course. And certain guys are going to have buzz around them. We're going to talk about that in a second. I want to touch on quickly the stars and scrubs thing, because I agree that that is the best strategy for auction. When I play auctions, I always do that. I just think my ability to identify the best one and $2 players just crushes my opponent's ability to identify the best one and two dollar players. It's tough though sometimes because CMC is gonna be nominated early, Dalvin's gonna be nominated early, all these guys that we like are gonna be nominated early, and people are gonna have a lot of money to blow. And sometimes they will go ahead and blow it. So how do you handle the best players getting nominated first and kind of setting the market? How does that go for you in the stars and scrubs uh, construction? Yeah. So I go into most auctions with the goal of putting together a stars and scrubs team. But I, I do have my limit. So, you know, if, if I go in dead set on Christian McCaffrey and I'm willing to go 65, 66, and 
it spirals out of control to $70. I'm not going to participate up participate in that i'm not so married to any any individual player that i gotta have that guy um and so you know what i sort of trust in my valuation going into the process is you know i want three three of those top 15 20 type talents but if if i fail to get them it's going to be because they went for so much more than i expected them to go for that at that point i should ideally be able to pivot to getting you know four third round type receivers in, in my team, you know, for Terry McLaurin, Kerry Keaton Allen, Robert Woods types. Um, I think the mistake if you don't go stars and scrubs is that people have a tendency to fill out that balance with cash spent on their bench. Um, and it's still important, even if you're not necessarily going for that top tier talent to be spending your money on guys who are in, in your starting lineup. So if, if, if you are avoiding those first two you know, in a typical snake draft, those first two rounds of players, because they went for just so much more than you expected them to go for, then, you know, load up on that, that load up on four of those CD lambs and Terry McLaurin's and, and, you know, make sure you get competent guys in, in each, in each position, you know, you want to have an advantage over other people for the fact that you weren't chasing after those stars. Yeah. Uh, Leonie, I'm curious what you think from a value perspective, like, would we rather have one Christian McCaffrey or we might be able to get, I don't know, like, Najee and Mixon both for the same price as one Christian McCaffrey. Like, how do you think about values there? Yeah, I think, I mean, for running back specifically, I'd rather have the Christian McCaffrey side of things where we know CMC is this huge edge over all the other running backs. And then I, I know something Chris talks about too, is like getting a bunch of these high upside, you know, handcuffed type running backs or guys that might have a role for one to $2 in the end game. There's so much profit potential in those types of running backs that, Christian McCaffrey plus the gamble that I get lucky on a second running back at some point throughout the season has a lot more profit potential and upside than locking in Najee and Mixon. That actually has a lot of risk to it. I mean, we've talked about in our running back and wide receiver episodes how you know, it's definitely valuable to get one of those high-end running backs, but you do have a little bit of risk. So uh, I'm on the Christian McCaffrey side of those things. And I am interested too. I mean, these auctions, like the hard part for me, you know, Chris mentions is trying to get three of the top 15 guys is when every guy that's up is going for like one to $2 more than I think, or one to $2 less. And I don't know when to actually pull the trigger because there's so much opportunity cost in doing so. And I'm glad Chris talked about being in touch with the market you're in, like under getting ADP, you know, average auction values from NFFC, if you can getting your leagues past auction values, because you have to be in touch with the market. Like if you're way off from the market, it doesn't matter how right you are. There's an opportunity cost. If you know, if you think the quarterbacks are way undervalued, well, you can still only get like one or two of them at a certain point it stops. So, you know, just figuring out exactly where to maximize your edge when you're different from the market or like the flip side, when the market's coming in, like exactly the same, like how do you decide to actually pull the trigger? Is it just, there's these top 15 guys, the first five went for about right. Well, I'm, I'm going to make sure to get the sixth guy just because this is the way it's going. Yeah, I, I think, I think when you're looking at those top 15, 20 guys, I think one of the biggest mistakes I made when I first started joining auctions was I was so intent on getting value everywhere. You know, I, I came in with a $200 budget. I wanted to have a team that was worth 280 and I would let those one or $2 differences sort of drive, drive my decisions. Those top tier of players, 
they, they don't go for discounts very often. Everyone, everyone knows Christian McCaffrey, Dalvin Cook, and Alvin Kamara are good. Um, so I'm willing to spend a couple extra dollars. Usually, it's I really have to let the the prices on those that top tier of talent really get out of control before I sort of pivot to to an approach where where okay, they, the other teams have spent so much money on these players that there's you know, some of these guys are just bound to go for discounts later on that I got that are going to be too good to pass up. So I, I really need to, to let it to be, be a significant change in the market. Um, and, and you actually brought up a really good point on why I as well would prefer McCaffrey and that, you know, I, I, I mentioned I prefer stars and scrubs, but I do not want scrubs in my core. Sorry, in my, in my wide receiver positions um, in a PPR your wide receivers are simply scoring too many points. There's those four to five catch a game guys are too valuable. So I think the biggest mistake I see people make in the, in those using a stars and scrubs approach is to have, you know, fill two wide receiver spots with the one $1 guy when it's so much easier, you know, looking at quarterback, for example, if you miss out on the top eight quarterbacks, there are cheap ways to get potential, whether it's, Trey Lance, Justin Fields, or, you know, even if you're looking at a dollar bin, I don't know if I'm allowed to say his name, but Deshaun Watson or, or, or uh, Trevor Lawrence, guys, guys who are, are going for really cheap and still provide upside, that just doesn't happen in, in wide receiver nearly as much as quarterback or, or running back where, you know, I mentioned in my article, you just want to assemble a team of backups, a, sorry, a, a bench full of backup running backs that are an injury away from being a legitimate RB2. And again, there, there are so many more opportunities to do that at the running back and quarterback positions than the wide receiver positions. Yeah, and, and more opportunity to do it in auction where you can get them all for a dollar. Uh, Leone, we can't be worried about a dollar and two dollars, man, at the up at top. Don't stop being such a Pez, okay? We, <laughs> when, it comes to, when it comes to the best guys, we're not worried about a dollar or two. We have such a big edge in the middle and the end game of an auction over our opponents. Why are we worried about a dollar or two at the beginning? I, I mean, you're right. I, I just get paralyzed. I kind of have what Chris said. Like I go into it kind of wanting to maximize the value too much. Yeah. And and then I get a little paralyzed when like everybody's close. I don't know if I should go that one to $2 more. And yeah, I, I just got to suck it up. Um, <laughs> but the worst thing you can do is leave money on the table in an auction, yeah, which obviously. Chris talks about in his article. So if you go stars and scrubs, you almost force yourself to not do that. That's like one of the other advantages yeah. to it. Exactly. Okay. Let's talk about handling buzz guys. Cause every year there's buzz guys. It's not hard to identify them this year. Some guys that come to mind, Justin Fields, CD lamb, Antonio Gibson, Javante Williams, Trey Lance, all these guys come to mind as buzz guys, IE in a snake. Yeah. They're pushed up a bit, but no one's taking CD lamb in round one. No one's taking Justin Fields in round five. No one's taking Javante Williams in round four in an auction. When you get people who are into the buzz guys, and I've had this Happened to me a lot in auctions. You start going to war with someone, and next thing you know, all these buzz guys are out of range because, my God, everybody's bidding against each other for them. So, Chris, how do you think about guys like Fields and Lamb, Javante, Trey Lance, guys that, you know, I th we think are sharp, but against competent opponents, everybody's going to be excited about these guys? Yeah, I think it depends on whether you're in on the buzz or, or, or not, whether you, whether you buy the hype. Um, I mentioned in my article, like, you don't want these buzz guys, if you're into them to be the last guy in a, in a tier. Um, so a lot of times what I find in happens in auctions is a lot of people are still looking at the same cheat sheets or whatever. And, and these guys who generate buzz like lamb or, or Javante Williams might be further down on that cheat sheet. And so they don't get brought up until later when, 
you know, three or four guys have, have designated that guy as the guy to have to, to make their, you know, second wide receiver or second running back spot, you know, be, be golden. Uh, and, and so what ends up happening is the prices on those guys just get driven so much higher later. I find later in an auction rather than maybe more of the early middle part of an auction. And so when I hear that, that list of players that you name of guys that, that generated buzz, the one guy I'll probably nom- be nominating a little bit earlier just to see if I can maybe catch him is, is Antonio Gibson. Um, he, he's a guy who's going for about 40, 41 bucks in, in the auctions I've seen where I'm really just, I, I don't know if he's necessarily going to reach that price, but I'm really scared not to own him this year, given the, the, upside. It's, it's sort of like, if you look at other running backs at that tier, you're looking at Nick Chubb, Jonathan Taylor, where, you know, there's no feasible scenario where they're going to be big time pass catchers, particularly with, particularly with Taylor losing, losing Phillip rivers. And then look at Aaron Jones, AJ Dillon's going to take a bunch of work. Najee Harris has the, has the whole line problems. Antonio Gibson's upside is, is really scary. And that the only thing preventing him from realizing it is, is JD freaking McKissick. Um, and, and so it, it's not that it's not that far fetched to think at some point, the Washington football team decides, Hey, I want this explosive player playing on third downs. And to me, that puts him in a you know tier where he's a, he's a top five type talent. Um, and so that, that's the one guy I'll pro- who's been generating a lot of buzz lately, who I'll, I'll probably make some effort to nominate a little bit earlier before, before everyone has to have. Yeah, you mentioned nomination. There, there's this whole like caveat or, or this whole cottage kind of industry or cottage thought process around nomination. Uh, you know, most people are just randomly nominating. And I think most people know not to nominate guys that they like typically, but that doesn't always hold true. You just said you might nominate a guy early because you think someone like Antonio Gibson might go for cheaper early then he will late. So maybe you can summarize a little bit about your nomination strategy. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, that's something where I definitely do try to watch the first few bids. If, if, you know, McCaffrey starts going in the seventies, cause you know, it's, it's, it's the home league and it's out of control. You know, I'm trying to, I'm trying to throw as many top guys out there to bleed all that money off the table. If it's, you know, sometimes people go into a draft, they're all thinking they want Christian McCaffrey and Dalvin Cook and you throw out Austin Eckler and he goes for, you know, $38, $39 because nobody was 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 viewing him as the key key to their draft. So I, I like to watch the the market and throw out guys I don't like when when it looks looks to be a little too hot. And and if I do get a value or I'll, I'll usually follow it up you know, immediately by throwing out another player I like just because, you know, trying to take advantage of that wave. Got it. Okay. On the other side of the buzz guys, we have kind of the boring guys. And this is a really interesting thing in auction, right? Like Juju and Tyler Boyd and Kareem Hunt and Jarvis Landry and Raheem Mostert, like they're going to go in snake roughly, roughly where we think they should go. But because people blow their load on the buzz guys, on the exciting guys, a lot of times in auction, I think guys like the quote unquote boring guys can actually get for less. What do you think about that theory, Chris? And do you have any kind of boring guys you think that are good in like the, you know, you can get them three, four, five, six dollars. They might be going in like round five, six, seven of snakes, if you follow what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. No, I think those are the type of guys when you do go stars and scrubs that you want to fill out your roster with, particularly if you start out early running back. I think there's a tier of wide receivers this year that are shoe-ins for pass catching volume um, that 
just because they're a little bit boring, you know, they're not going to never going to be top 10 type options that people just don't like paying up for. So, you know, if I, if I start off with, you know, two top five running backs, I'm going to be targeting guys, you know, who fit that mold of, of high volume players like a uh, Robbie Anderson, you know, Marvin Jones, Tyler Boyd. I've seen these guys go for, you know, anywhere between six and $8. And, and it just seems like a really cheap way to still, not get too far behind at the wide receiver position. If you're, if you are starting early at the, if you are starting with, with a couple of big, big guns at the running back position. Yeah. Leone, this strikes me as our edge, right? Whereas maybe we can spend a dollar or two or five more on the top and it's these boring guys, but we know they're solid through our projections, through our rankings that are actually the best values where you're saving five, six, $7 on these guys, you know, Juju Smith Schuster for six bucks or something like that strikes me as an amazing deal, right? Do you see what I'm saying there about kind of the quote unquote boring guys? Yeah. I mean, that's what I did in this past auction. I did where I probably made the mistake of getting not enough studs early but I sort of, I made up for it in a way by just getting so much value on, you know, Jerry Judy's got some hype, but like that, that whole fifth to seventh round wide receiver group, uh, Chris mentioned Robbie Anderson, Tyler Boyd. Those are two guys that went sub $10. We have them more like 15 ish dollar players. Um, Debo's in that tier two where like I got a lot of the hype and you can just go to go down to Debo for like half the price. So I think you're, you're living at that tier kind of before it drops off to, you know, like, like the riskier guys. Like, I mean, I like Mike Williams and, and Michael Pittman. I think those guys are cheap. But I think like just before that, there's a handful of guys that are really solid that you like feel good about starting right out of the gate where if you got one high end running back, maybe like two third ish round receivers, you could get like four guys in this tier and feel really good and like really have a good amount of depth at wide receiver. Yeah, exactly. And again, from an auction, you can come out of an auction without any guys that are going after round 12. I think, you know, I, I actually think that's really possible against a lot of opponents, something you could not do in snake whatsoever. Let's talk yeah. end game before we get out of here. Chris, uh, the end game, there is a lot of strategy. How much money do you like to save? You get into a spot where people know how much you can bid and it's kind of not a great spot if people know the max you can bid is one or the max you can bid is two. But as Leone said, there's going to be guys in the $1 range that I really like. I mean, I, I think that for $1, you can probably get Terrace Marshall, you can probably get Rondell Moore, maybe, although Rondell Moore is gaining a lot of buzz now. You might be able to get Elijah Moore. You might be able to get Ty Johnson. You might be able to get Taysom Hill. Like all these guys, I think are all going to go for a dollar or so, but there's gonna be other people maybe who saved money for the end game as well. Are you worried about getting pigeonholed where you can only spend a dollar on guys and your opponents knowing? And how do you think about the very end game? Yeah, I, I like to, you know, I guess is more important than, than maybe even the end game. I, I, we talked about making, getting money into your starting lineup. So that that's for me, the biggest priority. I panic if it's, if, if it's the end game and I have $20 left to spend and I don't see anyone, it looks like on, on my list that it looks like someone's going to spend $19 on, you know, that that's the worst possible place you can be in. So what I do like to save for, for the end game is maybe three to four, $2 bullets in my chamber, if you will, Opp opportunities to, to have, to, to be, just be the first person to shout $2 when that, when that backup running back comes up, who's, who's, you know, going to set, step into a, a three down role if the starter gets hurt. Um, and so I think in a home league, I think you, you listed some, some pretty ex 
you know, exciting guys like Marshall, Elijah Moore, you know, Marquez Callaway too. Those are probably guys you can get in a home league for, for, for a buck or two. Um, I'm, I'm actually seeing the last auction I did, all those guys went for six to eight bucks already. So I, I probably tend to shy away from the, the one to $2 wide receivers, just because when you get to that tier, the talent tends to be so replaceable with, uh, with like a Danny Amendola type wide receiver, not this year, but Danny Amendola type wide receiver uh, who can just, you know, play the slot and catch five catches. That guy's always going to be on the waiver wire. Um, so what I really like to do with my, with my $2 opportunities, if you will, is, is, you know, find four to five, you know, running backs who I am confident would step into a three down role if, if someone got hurt. So you're looking at Tony Pollard, you know, Alexander Madison, Chuba Hubbard, uh, guys like that, where, when, where I'm really scanning my list to think, okay, what's the right time to nominate him? How much can that Ezekiel Elliott owner bid? Does he have a $3 bid in him? Or does the Dalvin Cook owner have $3 left to spend? And as soon as they don't, that's usually when I would pounce and, and nominate that guy for, for $2 to, to get that upside. Because I, I don't necessarily know which starters are going to get hurt, but I know a lot of them are going to get hurt. And if I have four or five of those guys, I am, I'm definitely going to have a, have a good RB2, even if it doesn't look pretty at the beginning of the season. You, you mentioned, too, nominating for $2. And I think that's a mistake people make, too, is there's these guys that they're just not going to sneak by for a dollar. And they try and sneak them by for a dollar late. And you're better off being maybe a little bit more aggressive, you know, to even $3 on some of these guys just coming out of the gate and doing that. How do you gauge that? I mean, like, obviously, you're trying to keep track of everyone's money, and that'll yeah. give you a good indicator but like assuming people's max bids are still like three-ish dollars, like do you always jump at two or do you, you know, like sometimes go to three or do you sometimes go one, see if someone goes two and know you're willing to go to three? Yeah, I think, I think that that's all I'm thinking about in the end game of the draft. I'm, const- I'm looking at my list, how much money does everyone else have and trying to gauge in my best opinion is someone going to jump this bid and you're going to get, you're definitely not going to get everyone right. You're going to nominate Pollard for $2. Sometimes he's going to go for $3, but I would say with that, maybe elite tier of, of, of backup running backs, if you will, you know, guys like, you know, Pollard, Madison, Hubbard, you know, if, if assuming Murray stays as the number two RB on the saints, you can, you can throw them, throw them in that class. Like those guys aren't ever going to go for, for, for a dollar. So I, you know, you don't want to be too ambitious in, in nominating those guys for a dollar. I would say when I start nominating for guys for a dollar, it tends to be people who fit that same mold of, of guys who would step into a starting role, a workhorse type role in the event of an injury, but I'm pick, but the names become a lot less sexy. You're looking at like Devante Booker and uh you know quadriolus and 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 samaji pirine for for example mm-hmm. guys that no one's ever going to have enough interest in for two dollars but still give you those those opportunities to have a starter in the event of the nature yeah well, one of my issues with with the strategy of all these handcuffed running backs is you're clogging up so many bench spots right so like how long can i wait for a running back to get hurt while i'm clogging up like four or five of my bench spots i think people need to be aware of how deep their bench is because i still want to be able to churn it you know what i mean yeah. Yeah. And, and the only thing I'll say is, is at least from my experience, I have a lot of confidence in my ability on a week to week basis. When those needs arise, you know, my number four wide receiver gets hurt or something. I have a lot of you know confidence in, in my ability to work the waiver wire and just find someone who's acceptable for those weeks. I don't need to, I don't need to roster that replacement guy. on 
on, on my team. Um, I'd much rather save my, my bench spots for, for potential and opportunity because I can always find that floor player on the waiver. Sure. Okay. We've said it all about auction. Actually, we have not said it all because Chris, Mike, and I will be doing an actual live auction draft, uh, a mid-stakes auction draft online uh, Tuesday. And it's going to be in the draft kit. We're going to record ourselves doing it. We'll put it up in the draft kit so you guys can see us execute and practice some of these theories, see which players you want to bid on, see which ones we don't want to bid on. I think if those get, for those guys who have auction drafts, this will be a good thing for you guys to watch. Check that out if you have the draft kit. Chris, tell the people where they can find you if you want to be found. I don't know if you want to be found or not, but if you want to be found, tell the people where they can find you. Yeah, I'm, I'm not promoting anything other than just, just trying to kick ass at fantasy football. So uh, yeah, you can find me. I'm Chris Eibel. That's my name at, 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 on Twitter. Um, you know, feel free to reach out. I'll be posting probably some draft boards, you know, over my high stakes adventures in Las Vegas. Um, and actually, by the way, I actually wish you guys had told me before I joined this podcast, but I was just scanning my, my list of high stakes leagues and saw I was in a pretty big one with Leone. So um, I'm, I'm a little nervous now that I've given away all my, all my strategy. <laughs> But, uh, <laughs> oh, Leone, you're doing a you're doing a high stakes auction, Leone. It's not an auction though. Not is it? Enough. Not okay, enough. okay. Oh, I was like, I hope I didn't sign up for the high stakes auction. You signed up for the Chris wrong. Is, Chris is gonna kill me if we run run into that one. But the snake, I I feel good about it. I'm guessing it's the NFFC uh, ultimate. That, that's right. That's right. Yeah, uh, uh, Chris, you said you have 15 to 20 or, or more teams. Uh, do you have an assistant running your waivers for you? Or are you going full blown team no sex and doing the waivers yourself each week during the season? <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll do the waivers. So I, you know, until I get to Vegas, I'm trying to maybe stick to best ball leagues where I don't have to deal with, deal with all that stuff. But you know, I, I, I manage the 15 myself. Okay. Well, that doesn't sound too advertising to me. No, I don't trust anyone else for that. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Got you. Okay. Well, Leone's going to be managing our waivers for, uh, for our, uh, uh, teams, right? Leone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> If he wants to, if you want to handle some of mine, by all means. Yeah. Okay. Enough's enough. We will see you guys tomorrow for this live stream of the auction. Again, if you have the draft kit, check it out. We'll post it as soon as we finish. For Chris, for Leone, for producer Luke, I am Adam. Good luck, everybody. Mm-hmm.